We are subject and object, body and soul. But what does that mean for how we understand reality and how we encounter it? Hello, welcome to the conversation of our generation, where we are solving the problems of today with the wisdom of, with the wisdom of the past. My name is Nick Jamel, the creator and host of the podcast here, and I'm excited to talk to you today about the unity of subject and object and where that happens uniquely in the human person, at least as far as we know. Now, there might be alien species out there that have this gift as well, but I am not getting into that conversation today. Today, I want to focus on really this marriage of object and subject in the human person and what that means for how we experience reality, how we understand reality, and how we interpret it as well, and what we can influence about reality what's the extent of our ability to change the world around us because we are an object acting in a world of objects. So that is what I'm going to discuss today. And before I do, I just want to remind you, if you're enjoying this podcast, enjoying this series, definitely head back. If you haven't listened to the other two episodes uh, of what is objective reality and what is subjective reality, those previous two episodes are linked in the show notes, but also would be really good to just take a listen to those as well. Those are kind of a basis on what I will be discussing in this episode. So check those out. And then also, if you're enjoying the podcast, leave a five-star rating, good review. That stuff helps with the algorithms, helps me shoot up in the charts and get more people discovering this. I've seen that. I've been staying in the charts in the top, you know, 100 or 200 in several countries like Luxembourg and all of those. And uh, Malaysia, I think was one of them. So Poland was another one. So really cool to see that. But would love to see, you know, getting into the top 100 here in the United States or in the UK, you know, some of the places where there's a lot more podcast listeners as well. And that would be awesome. So please leave that good rating and review that really helps and supports the show in a free and easy way, especially if it's something that you like. (laughs) It's a great way to support what I'm doing. And you can also follow me on Twitter at con of and you can just search or you can just search conversation for our generation on any social media platform and you should come across my profile there. I'm on just about any of them. I'm only mostly active on Twitter and maybe a little bit on Facebook, but that's about it for me <laughs> and YouTube as well. So you can also subscribe on YouTube and hit the bell so you get notified when videos come out. I break out the interviews into pieces. I do my book reviews there generally the last couple of weeks, obviously with some of the chaos around the house. I have not but those will generally be there as well. So definitely check that out too. And so let's dive on into the subject. What I want to discuss is us as a body and soul and what that means. Last week I talked a little bit about the uh, Liebenswelt and that idea that we are an object and we encounter these other objects, but because we have this subjective experience, we're able to map out and say, oh, I am a human person. I have this experience of the world. That's another human person. They must have a similar experience of the world. And we can kind of delineate ourselves into like an I and a we as in a group. And, you know, that's you over there. And we can delineate these different subjects so we can see that sort of this subjective experience is tied to a single object in the body of another person, right? There's kind of one soul, one body per person. And that is what leads me into today's discussion. 
where we basically observe, uh, experience and observe the objective world, but we also have a subjective lens. And that is important because many animals, for instance, are just objects. And they may have better or worse faculties and capabilities to interact with human beings, right? We can kind of teach basic language to get more stuff or, you know, whatever, you know, commands to dogs. There's a lot of things like that that we can teach, right? Parakeets can kind of recreate words. And I don't, I don't know if they necessarily understand it. I think it's, I, I can't tell if it's like just a mimicry thing and they just kind of get the sound of the word and are able to recreate it. I don't understand that fully. So I'm not going to say that they don't know language, but it doesn't seem like they do. I don't know. And there's that side of things. And then <clears throat> from a Christian or really broadly religious worldview, there are disembodied spirits as well that are subjects that are self-referential. They know to refer to themselves as I, right? They know how to interact and think and feel but they may be disembodied, right? You have angels, demons in the Christian worldview, even, well, you do have saints <laughs> that have gone on to heaven who are current and the damned as well, who currently do not have their bodies until the resurrection, but that's a different story. We'll get to that, I think, here shortly. But the point of that is you kind of have both sides of the spectrum where there's object without subject, their subject without object, right, without a body and without taking up space in the world. And then there's human beings who are meant to be subject and object. So those people who are currently, who have gone on from this life and into the next and are either damned or enjoying their eternal reward are currently disembodied but that is not the way that they ought to be, right? They will be reunited with their body. And this is something that <clears throat> Catholics and Christians broadly have really brought to the forefront of why this is important. Because for a long time, I think I did an episode on this a long time ago uh, about, I think it was on pornography, <laughs> actually, a little bit. And why we have to understand people as this body soul composite because you know we have this pagan idea that was around at the time of Christ and the Jews even before that you know around the time of Socrates and even before him where basically you your body is a cage for your soul right that and this is kind of similar to Eastern thought in a lot of ways, that the body is sort of encasing your soul and keeping it here in this life, and then it wants, your soul wants to be freed into the afterlife. And, you know, there are different views on how that goes in the pagan world, but that is kind of the idea. And you have this modern sense now of we are just sort of meat puppets with this phenomena of a soul that emanates from us but it's not really a soul it's just some sort of not illusion as much as it's an advanced evolutionary trait and we are 
still the same as every other animal. And so we're not a real subject, it's just kind of... We basically call ourselves a subject, but we aren't really an I and a you and a we, it's just evolution. And really what it is that's true about us is that we are body and soul, right? That we have a mind that is a product of our soul, right? We have a brain that's a product of our body, but a mind that is a product of our soul that gives us the ability to think abstractly, to relate to one another, to communicate ideas, and to create art, and much more. And so, in order to understand that, I want to take a look at, I guess, in order to understand what this means for us, I want to take a look at the world around us and how we influence it, because I think that's important. That's where I think a lot of the excesses and defects in our understanding of reality, whether that's our subjective experience and our influence on the world, or the amount that the objective world around us kind of controls our experiences as well. I think the excesses and defects there lie in a misunderstanding of how much we have to offer, basically, and how much we can do or interact with the world around us. And so... Like I said, it is possible to influence the world around us, and we do it in a lot of ways every day, but here are some of the things that we can do. We can create, destroy, move, and manipulate objects. So we are able to, because we have a body, because we are still an object out in the world, we're able to move things around, we're able to build new things, turn you know, certain materials into others, and you know, right, we can take trees, cut them down, take them to the sawmill, and turn it into lumber that we can then use to build a house or a birdhouse or whatever else right? you want to talk about. We're able to manipulate objects and can do quite a bit thanks to modern technology and modern science in order, in order to service our needs, right? With pretty advanced chemistry to change ions. I mean, we can take we could split atoms and turn them into incredibly powerful bombs it's incredible what we are capable of influencing in the world we do have this impressive ability to imprint that on the world and to change the world around us with our actions and so it is something that we have to be careful about as well But that is, I think, something that we are able to do. And I think sometimes the extent of that is limited by human technology and capability and just the finiteness of our lives, right? We can only do so much. We can only go so far, right? We can't necessarily reach other solar systems or galaxies or anything like that yet. That might be a possibility at some point in time, but... We'll have to see. The next thing that we can do is persuade people with logic, right? We can speak to people's faculties of reason and try to persuade them. We can basically, in other words, we can communicate ideas. (laughs) We can explain both concrete ideas, like you take two pencils, you take another two pencils, you put that together and you have four pencils, right? 
Sally's walking around with five apples. She eats one and gives two away. How many apples does she have left? She has two apples, right? We can do those sorts of mathematical story problems and convey that to people as young as five, six years old, even younger, maybe, especially if they're pretty sharp kids. We can also do this with abstract ideas. We can go into a court of law and defend our rights and why this right ought to be categorized in a certain way. And we can hash out these complex and difficult ideas you know, that our founding, founding fathers did at the Constitutional Convention. We can argue and persuade and influence each other's minds, but we do that through the object, right? We still don't, it's not like through telepathy or anything like that. We're doing it by embodied speech. We are actually physically talking to one another and this, we were able to communicate through this language that is sort of a reflection of the subjective side of things, but the embodiment and the action of it is part of that object. And so that's different than, for instance, the... You know, Thomas Aquinas would say basically that the angels had this capability of telepathy because that's the only way that they could talk to us. Or the saints, maybe when they appear, right, in the Bible when Saul appears, uh, sorry, when Samuel is called back by Saul, right, when you kind of communicate with anything in the spirit world, which you should be very careful, you shouldn't be doing <laughs> unless you're just praying to saints, just clarifying that. But communication with the spirit world is potentially some sort of form of telepathy or things like that. So there is another way of communicating things. And so, sorry, I'm still in the upstairs while the basement is getting fixed up. So you might hear my dog shaking around and walking around. But the other thing that we can do is influence people's emotions. So we can speak to their mind, to their intellect, but we can also speak to their more base appetites. <laughs> and this is a lot of times more impulsive and it's less speaking to it and more just reacting. I mean, I, I have two brothers <laughs> when one of us gets mad and does something out of anger, a lot of times it will induce anger out of the other brother, right? That's, you kind of have those brotherly fights and squabbles and things like that, that can arise when one of us is you know, angry, throws something, breaks something that is valuable to the other brother, <laughs> right? And then that brother's mad that you did that. And we're not really communicating on this realm of logic, but basically anger is jumping from one person to the other. And you're sort of able to interfere with that other person's, not interfere, but I guess that could be a way of saying it, but you can influence that other person's experience of the world by the way you act out your subjective experience, basically. By the way you act, whether you choose to control your emotions or whether you choose to let them run rampant over you, right? That sort of thing can influence the way you act and then influence the way other people view that scenario, that world, the world that you're co-inhabiting or cohabiting. So that is another place where we can influence people and change people. And the last one here that I want to talk about is having relationships with 
sort of the whole person. And this goes back to, as I was talking about earlier, that idea of the pornographic culture that we live in, where we sort of try to separate out subject and object. But when you unite those together, we realize that we have to, for friendships, for uh, spousal relationships, for you know, family, other family relationships, we still have to have sort of an embodied way of getting together, right? We have to, we can't just basically send mental telepathy to each other and comfort each other. You know, we are, you want, if you have a family member or a friend who's hurting, you might put your arm around them, hug them, you know, rub their back, whatever it is, right? You might, if you are excited and joyous, you might high five and hug, jump up and down. You know, if you're having a party, you might be dancing or cheersing and all of those sorts of things. You can, we, we have to have those incarnate and embodied ways of expressing our love and care for one another, our even hatred and anger towards one another, right? Those sorts of things are not just abstract because we are an object. Those things get embodied. And it's important for us to recognize that as we go about our relationships, as we go about our daily life, that we can influence other people and we can build those relationships that sustain us in a different way, that give us a different kind of joy and reliability in the world that comfort us, that give us peace and purpose. Those things require, those relationships require more than just a simple mental connection, right? Or a simple bodily connection. It's more than either of those two things. We don't say that the two cups that get knocked together have some sort of relationship, right? Because they're not agents in the world. They're just inactive things. But we are actual agents in the world and are able to use our intellect, our emotions, all the things that go with the soul and the rational, even irrational side of us, uh, and our bodies, and use those together to create these relationships that are more meaningful, that are not just, I mean, some might be accidental in the way that we may not intend to meet somebody, and you just kind of run into people, and you fall into these sorts of relationships with friends because they're in your class and things like that but still they are purposeful they are intentional because in order to build that up it does require some sort of intent but this ability to influence things around us does not extend to everything i think that is much of what the postmodernist problem is is that we have this idea that our speech can change the world around us that if we change the terms and we push all of the opposing viewpoints out, then we're right. You know, we see this with all of the 
phobic accusations or racist accusations that if you just can shout down people who are saying, you know, being fat is unhealthy, then you can shout them down as fat phobic and all of a sudden fat becomes healthy. That's sort of the idea. And it's not true. And now not every fat, you know, slightly overweight person is wholly unhealthy. But <laughs> the people that they put forward a lot of times to make this argument are most likely fairly unhealthy. And that I think is important to recognize. And we have to understand that our speech and our ideas have to reflect the world around us, have to incorporate an objective reality and you know, take that in and with the best ability that we can, right? We have all of these biases and perceptions, misperceptions, emotions, and all of that in the way of getting to what is actually true. And if we want to get to the truth, we have to push through that, engage with other people in conversation and dialogue so that we can sort of check that against other rational creatures who are thinking about these things, right? And who can maybe point out where we are being irrational, where we are letting emotion influence or where we're maybe missing something, right? Pointing out some blind spots in our ideas. We need that engagement with the world outside of us, with other people, so that we can see those issues that we have with coming to the truth, those barriers to the truth. One of the biggest challenges facing our culture today is the porn problem. And that's why I'm proud to be working with Covenant Eyes to help nip this problem in the bud. So if you struggle with porn or if you want to protect your family from this issue, Covenant Eyes can help. Covenant Eyes is an accountability software that helps you create good habits when you're using your computer or other devices that are connected to the internet. And so you can have this plan for yourself, for your whole family, and using my promo code of CONVO when you go there, C-O-N-V-O, you will get your first 30 days free. So head on over to CovenantEyes.com and use the promo code CONVO, C-O-N-V-O, to get your first 30 days free. That way you can start living a porn-free life for you and for your family. Now back to the conversation. But we also cannot change, like I said, the objective reality around us in a lot of ways. Like we can build new things, we can destroy things, we can change the environment around us in a lot of ways, right? We can cut down trees and build a home and now that's different than it was before. But we can't change, <laughs> I mean, and even with genetically, you know, engineering a lot of things, right? We can do a lot to influence what a tree, how trees look and what animals look like and all of that. But we can't really change those laws of physics. We can't make two and two not equal five. And even if you change the words for it, right? If you change the second two there, all of a sudden means three, but it actually reflects the number of two itself, what we would call two. You cannot change the fact that two-ness and two-ness together equal four-ness, right? You can change the words and manipulate all of that and try to confuse it, but you cannot change that reality. And so there are very, and I think that in the moral world as well, there are truths like that that we cannot change. That this world of mathematics is sort of a reflection of the 
objective world, the kind of world we can interact with in many ways, but that this moral world is, you know, what is truth and justice and virtue and beauty, you know, the, this sort of world has the same sort of mathematical truths <laughs> or same sort of truth as mathematics does, I should say. It is true in a very similar way, that it is abstract, that it is not fully discoverable because you have to see it embodied, look at what is embodied, abstract out what is true about that, and reflect on that. And, you know, you have to see beauty embodied. You have to talk about true things in order to understand what truth is, right? You have to talk about just and unjust situations and ideas and laws in order to get to what just, you know, what justice is. And so all of these, because we are subject and object, all of these things that we have to discuss are embodying these universal principles. And those universal principles are where we really don't have the influence. We can't change the physics of the world, right? All the scientists will tell you that we can't change the physics. We might be able to leverage the physics in an interesting way, in a way that we do not yet know how to do, right? We, because of the theory of relativity, you know, discovering that, that opens things up more than Newtonian physics. Okay, that's different, but that's still a, you know, a law of physics that we are not able to break. We can use it to our advantage, but we cannot alter the physics themselves. We can only piggyback on them and use them in a certain way. And that, I think, is important for us to understand and realize. The other thing is that I think is important here is this idea that has, I think, come up in reference to the theory of relativity while I'm talking about it is because things can be sort of relative to the amount of gravity and all of that, I don't exactly understand it. <laughs> and I know that I'm going to probably butcher this on the scientific side, but I think that many people have taken this idea of relativity and tried to pigeonhole that into philosophical terms, right? That this is a scientific fact that we're saying now we can sort of say this man has so much gravitas and about him that he can sort of change the world in these sort of power dynamic ways. And I think we have to be careful about taking scientific principles and things like that and applying them to ourselves as if we are not agents of the world, but simply just patients, right? That we are just things being acted upon by other things in the universe. And we are being acted upon by other th things in the universe, right? If you've ever been, you know, had a bird flying over your head and it poops and it hits you, you've been acted upon by that bird, right? That, I mean, the word patient is just something being acted upon by something else, <laughs> right? That bird may not have the sense in the way that we do, but it is the case. And it, it's not like the bird is thinking about it beforehand like we might, right? It's not preemptively doing that. It's just doing bird things that birds do and it affects you. But we, I think, have to be very careful about taking sort of these 
scientific ideas and trying to shoehorn them into this ability for us to understand the world, right? And I'll get into some of the sort of, I think, I don't know if I want to call them heresies, but misconceptions of the world, like scientism and naturalism, that in a future episode on in this series. But what we have to recognize is our ability to influence the world does have some limit. We can't change these overarching laws of the world. We have to discover what those laws of the world are and work in accordance with them and try to adhere, make our actions adhere to the way the world works and figure out what that is, right? If the world is kind of wound up like clockwork and everything, then when it, if we want to go in and adjust things, we have to know how the clock works. And if we want to make tweaks and changes and updates, then we need to know how to do that. And maybe the clock isn't the best. Maybe it's, you know, the motor of a car because you can, you know, do that. You can supercharge it and you you can fix it when it's running low and all of that. But, and obviously the world around us, largely if the, if our world stops working, then that's probably a problem that we can't solve <laughs> as much as the climate catastrophists would like to say that we can. But it is, in fact, something that, you know, we can, for instance, shoot, maybe shoot as, uh, missiles into asteroids out in space that might, that were going to hit us and affect the world in a big way. We can sort of defend ourselves against those cosmic uh, threats even now. Now, not all of them, <laughs> but we can somewhat. And so I think this power that we've had that's come into that we uh, that we've accumulated over this past hundred years or so maybe even since the industrial revolution but i think especially in this last hundred to 150 years this incredible power that we've created has sort of gone to our heads and has made us think that we can influence all things and i think a great book on this it i i'm curious to read Michael Knoll's book, Speechless, because I think this ties into that a lot, but, so I'll have to order that and get it, but I do think that another book is Fools, Frauds, and Firebrands by Roger Scruton, which I uh, did a book review on, I can link at that in the show notes, that is another one that really gets to this point of how much are we able to influence reality, right? He sort of traces this post-Marxist idea uh, that turns into the Frankfurt School that turns into critical theory, postmodernism, and much of that idea that words, if you can manipulate the words, if you can manipulate how we think about things, then you can manipulate the thing itself. And I think it really what we find is that when we do that, when we go too far to the subjective side that I can impose myself on the world through speech, you can in some respect, you can influence other people but when you think you can impose it, you can change the world around you, you can change the laws of nature by the speech you put forth, then really what we end up doing is confusing the discourse, confusing the truth. And what I want us to do is humbly seek what is true 
search for what is true and argue in favor of that and use our speech to convey truth, to discover and convey that truth. And that's what we ought to be doing as embodied souls. And so hopefully you enjoyed this. Hopefully you enjoyed this episode and this discussion. If you haven't listened to the other two, I definitely recommend you go back and listen to uh, what is objective reality and what is subjective reality and see what I have to say there. It'll be good background as we march forward next week into talking a little bit about some other ideas about you know relating subject and object, how do we relate to one another, eventually kind of correcting some of the errors of modernist thought. And I would, I'm really excited to talk about that. So definitely check that out. If you like the work that I'm doing, please subscribe at conversationofourgeneration.com slash subscribe. Go there for five bucks a month. You can support the work I'm doing, get access to premium content, get access to uh, the discord community. You get my book and I now have glasses on there so for special deal right now anyone who signs up there who subscribes now between now and july uh, end of july rather so july has 31 days before august 1st we'll say that (laughs) anyone who subscribes before august 1st will get a glass so definitely check that out uh pretty sweet little whiskey glass so if you like whiskey you like sipping it in style subscribe to the conversation for our generation for five bucks a month and you'll get that and also if you just want to subscribe get my newsletter get updates on what's going on go to conversationofourgeneration.com slash newsletter and you can do that totally free all you need is your email and i think your first name and you'll get that so thank you for listening to this episode of the conversation of our generation let's get the dialogue going i'll talk to you next time